On the Lollygaggers podcast this week, mystery is the name of the game. Mystery in the 1990s, both topics that repeatedly ask the question why. For instance, in Rising Sun, why does every man wear a suit three sizes too large? And why do they pick a Scottish man to mansplain Japanese culture? And in Dark City, why does Kiefer Sutherland have to talk like he's always out of breath? We're not going to answer any of these questions, but at least we ask them. Welcome to episode number 65 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things. From comics to games, movies to TV, I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, baby? It's going all right, uh, except for the fact that you keep giving me stuff to watch and do for these quizzes. I am... Uh, since we've switched to the new format, you have given me, with the exception of war games, nothing but trash. Like, it's just trash, trash, trash. Uh, and whereas I have given you some fantastic stuff, I've given you The Wizard, which honestly is trash. But I've given you, like, today's episode. Uh, it's an amazing movie. Uh, amazing movie. Uh, and then, um, yeah, yeah. And I get uh, I get what I get. So anyway, uh, you <laughs> You want to just jump right in uh, so I can prove how much trash uh, Justin has, to, has has been giving me lately? Uh, sure, but it's not like what you gave me was a gem. No, what I gave you was, in fact, yes. a gem. It is a uh, highly, highly regarded uh, movie, in fact, with high critical reviews, uh, considered by many to be one of the uh, one of the more intelligent, smartest science fiction movies uh, of honestly of our generation but we're not talking about that movie yet we're going to be talking about a different movie called rising sun uh from 1993 which many people say the same thing they really don't so the about... challenge <laughs> the challenge that we're dealing with this this episode is mystery from the 90s uh, i flirted with a couple different things uh for challenging justin but justin didn't flirt with anything he just figured out let me give him something with wesley snipes Oh, I had so, one, but it was a made-for-TV yeah. movie that we couldn't get a hold <laughs> of, and Pierce I thought it was Brosnan. great. It was a Pierce right. Brosnan movie about a professor who investigates a murder, yes. and that seems like something it's that right could up my easily alley. happen to you. Uh, well, I mean, it already has. Like, I have solved so many murders, it's crazy. Uh, but no, unfortunately, we couldn't get a hold of that one because it was a disc only from Prime Video, and, and we ain't doing that kind of stuff. So instead, I went with, uh, or, or I was, it was selected for me to watch Rising Sun, the two-hour and nine-minute action crime drama starring Sean Connery and Wesley Snipes, or Wesley Snipes and Sean Connery, however you want to look at it. Harvey Keitel also plays a very, uh, very pivotal role in the movie, uh, and um, and it's based off a Michael Crichton uh, book, but it really doesn't do that book justice, from what I understand. However, I've never read that book. I've uh, never really been a big Michael Crichton fan outside of you know Jurassic Park or something like that so here's the premise of the movie because it's I guess it's a mystery sure but it seems fairly obvious just pick the dude who looks most guilty and has the poofiest hair and that's the one who probably did it and if you if you live by that kind of code for your entire life you'll probably be fine in figuring out who the murderer was so Rising Sun takes place in Los Angeles and the film is told a little bit out of order uh, there's kind of like this basic instinct scene uh, that's kind of going on with Wesley Snipes, who's being interrogated by his various superiors. He's a cop, kind of, uh, and he works specifically with kind of an international corp. Uh, like, like that's his focus. I can't remember. The, there's, a, there's a specific name for it, but I don't care enough to look it up. Uh, and he is called in. Um, well, actually, the movie starts off with us like having having this out of sequence conversation where he's talking about the events of of the movie, what's actually going to befall what we're going to watch. And so much of what happens is kind of a flashback. And then halfway through the movie, we kind of catch up 
to that part, to that scene where he's being interrogated by his bosses. And then from then on, the movie is like happening now, like over the course of the last maybe 40 minutes or so. But for the first hour and a half, something like that, because it's a long movie, uh, for that first hour and a half, it's all kind of told in flashback. So the basic premise is that there is a a um, corporate buyout that's uh, that's being negotiated right now uh, in the Nakamoto building of Los Angeles. It's uh, it's or I'm not sure if it's necessarily the building's name is that, but I know the corporation's name is that, and it's a Japanese company that's trying to uh, to buy out this Microcon company that is a semi semiconductor company, and they're having some kind of financial trouble. So Nakamoto is in the midst of trying to acquire that particular company. And there's all sorts of complications to that. Some of it's cultural, the fact that it's a Japanese company taking over an American company. Some of it's political because it's the, because like there's a Senator kind of, that kind of gets pushed into this a little bit. So at the beginning, there's the opening to this movie. is just awful. It's just like some sort of weird celebratory thing where people are hitting drums and you're like, what the hell's going on? And it takes forever for like the actual stuff to happen. But a woman gets killed. Long story short, a woman is killed after having sex in a corporate boardroom uh, a couple floors above where it looks to be some sort of big party where a lot of uh, a lot of corporate and political um, movers and shakers are meeting to kind of talk this out. And Wesley Snipes character, a cop, is called in as, because he's part of like some sort of international uh, like liaison type group to work on this particular case. And then he shortly thereafter gets another call to pick up Sean Connery's character, uh, who is a former police captain, sort of, who kind of went, fell in love with Japan or something like that. Uh, it's a little bit vague, uh, but he's he, he's he's asked to come consult by we don't know exactly who. And that's kind of important, as Sean Connery will try to teach us throughout the entire movie, because he's very condescending to pretty much everybody. Uh, and then... They start to investigate, and there's all sorts of these sensible, sense, you know, sensitive negotiations. You know, all of them neglecting the fact that there is an actual dead woman like on the on the on the table of a conference room after having sex with somebody at the party. And for some reason, like there's all these other sort of subtle subtleties that go on. Uh, so what proceeds to happen in the movie is there to be is, is the question of who killed her, why did they kill her, who who's hiding what? Was it somebody who's involved in these negotiations? Was it someone political? Was it someone business oriented? Was there a frame job, etc.? cetera? Uh, now, because Sean Connery's character, Captain John Connor, but not the cool one from Terminator, uh, because he is in love with Japan in some way, or he has spent a lot of time in Japan, he wants Wesley Snipes uh, to actually go through the proper procedures. And he constantly calls Wesley Snipes' character, who's, who's Lieutenant Webster Smith, or Webb. He constantly calls him like Kohai because Sean Connery's like senpai and they're like master or like, I don't know, supervisor, senior man, junior man, something like that. So he, you know, he wants Wesley Snipes' character to, to let him take the lead at certain points. And there's all those little dicey negotiations. So the woman's killed and they, they learn a little bit here and there. And eventually they get what appears to be a videotape of someone actually killing this woman. But that videotape reveals that the killer is a certain person who, who's, I, there's a specific word for it, but I can't, again, there's a lot of like Japanese terminology. I didn't write it down, uh, but essentially it's a guy named Eddie Sakamura, who strangely enough is one of the the lead characters in Amazon uh, Amazon show The Man in the High Castle. Uh, so it's uh, Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa. Uh, hopefully I did that some sort of justice. 
but it's a very young version of him because it's 1993. He's got a little mullet going on. He's kind of a playboy. Uh, his father is is somewhat of a competing businessman to Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Yes. I cannot believe you're not bringing up the fact that he's also Shao Kahn from Mortal Kombat. That's fair. That's fair. Come on. I try to forget Mortal Kombat because it was bad. Um, Your song is mine. Yeah. Anyway, so he's he. It looks like he's he's the one who killed her. But as the investigation continues, it turns out that he did know her. That they were boyfriend and girlfriend, possibly sorta, kinda in a way. They had a relationship. It also was revealed that she liked it rough. She liked to be. Uh, she liked to be choked when she was having sex and that there was like these bruising. So that's something that perhaps he did. Uh, but then as the investigation continues, uh, we bring we bring in a few other people, including Tia Carrere, um, who is a who is a video specialist and reveals that that video that showed Eddie, Eddie Sakamura being the killer is, in fact, doctored and that that face was somebody else's and that there's also these other things. So this movie is like 1993, but it's all about video editing which is so weird looking at the way they do it. But it's, I mean, honestly, it's really not so bad for 1993. So it turns out that that, that was a, that was doctored footage. And so it was all about trying to locate the original footage. And Eddie Sakamura is, since he's the one that everyone suspects that the, all the cops, including Harvey Keitel are going for, they kind of try to gun him down, almost, not framing him. Cause it honestly looks like he did it according to the evidence that they have. So there's that whole side story. Eddie, you know, Eddie goes in, in hiding, but eventually he meets up with John Connor and Webster Smith and or Web Smith, and like they all kind of team up, sort of. Um, but then when Wesley Snipes' character protects Eddie and actually puts himself at risk and his daughter at risk and his mother at risk to help protect uh, Eddie Sakamura, he's like, "Oh, that's a you know really honorable thing." And so for some reason, he goes and he fights a bunch of people and he dies. Uh, so I'm not sure why that happened and then that's when we finally catch up to the beginning of the movie where he's being where wesley snipes is being interviewed by you know by his bosses and he's again he's doing that that sharon stone thing from basic instinct it's pretty hilarious it's not i guess i guess because he's got pants on it's it's not as bad uh so then the movie catches up to where where the present is and we learn that there's all sorts of different layers to it because the video shows that it was a senator who's played by the Lollygaggers podcast favorite Ray Wise, uh, and that he was actually having sex with the dead woman, and it looked like he was choking her. But that's only one thing that the original footage revealed, because Ray Wise, his senator, was actually going to vote against the deal, and then this they were using this percent, you know, as as leverage to make him actually vote properly. But if you let that video play through, it it reveals that she wasn't actually dead after having sex with the senator. And that somebody else came into the room and knew where all the cameras were, so it was good about hiding, you know, their identity, and then choked her and killed her. But that doesn't really do a whole lot uh, good for the senator because the because Sean Connery and Wesley Snipes start faxing over pictures uh, from the original footage, and then he kills himself. A senator, a sitting senator, kills himself, and like this is not the main part of the movie. Like that's just amazing to me. A sitting senator just killed himself because. It was revealed that he he had sex with a woman, possibly killed her, and it's just done. It's it's presented in such a way that is such an afterthought in this movie. It's fascinating. So they finally are trying to figure out who this lost person was, and so they do like this little hail mary, and they go and they interrupt this meeting between uh, between Microcon and and the the Nakamoto Corp, 
And in doing so, they staged this whole big thing to see who's going to react. And it looks like it's originally going to be like the second in command. So like Wesley Snipes's, you know, uh, kind of equivalent. So not like the senior man, but the junior man. But then it looks like instead of it being the Japanese junior man, it was actually the cre- creepy, poofy haired white guy who's been hanging around the uh, the negotiations the whole time. There's a chase sequence. Uh, Wesley Snipes and John and, uh, and Sean Connery get interrupted and the guy gets and then the white guy gets thrown by some of Eddie's friends because Eddie's dead now and they want revenge, apparently. Throw him into some pool of concrete and then he dies. And that's basically the end of the movie. Uh, Though Tia Carrera's character does try to present this notion that maybe it wasn't in fact the white guy and that he was just sort of taking the rap because I guess that's what they do in Japanese culture. So what did I think of this movie? I think it's terrible. I thought it was terrible when I first watched it and I watched it a long time ago. I still think it's terrible now. There's so many things about this movie that are just ridiculous uh i mean <laughs> there's like towards the end there's a fight sequence and it's the most embarrassing fight sequence i've ever seen wesley snipes is an incredibly athletic actor like the guy knows he knows all sorts of martial arts he's been in some really good stuff but this is like really really bad the way it breaks down and then like the fact that they have like old sean connery and this and this is 1993 sean connery so he ain't that old and him like doing this like really poorly choreographed it's got very 1990s clothing, so every guy has really baggy, you know, a really baggy suit because that's what it was like in the right, 90s. Right off the bat, right off the bat, when Wesley Snipes <laughs> walks in, and you see Sean Connery, and they're oh. both sitting in their four-button baggy yeah. suits. I'm like, oh so my baggy. god! And that, I mean, that's not why it's bad. That just means it's dated, obviously. But the movie's bad for a lot of other reasons. It's bad because it just feels really awkward to constantly be lectured about Japanese culture from a white dude. I mean, that's basically what this movie was. It's, it's, there's a lot of uh, white privilege mansplaining. Totally. Almost, that's what it's it really felt weird. like. It totally did. It only felt like that. I mean, and I'm a white dude saying that, too. But even still, like, I can recognize that this feels kind of awkward. Uh, when I was doing a little more reading about the about the movie, apparently... Uh, David Mamet, who I love because he wrote Glengarry Glenn Ross, was coming to do like script doctoring on this. And and a lot of the stuff that he added was terrible. So there's like a scene with Eddie Sakamura where they originally go to arrest him after it's they find the doctored footage that's revealed him to be the killer. And they find him like eating like he's eating sushi off like a naked woman. And there's another naked woman in the room. None of this was in Crichton's book. This is just something Mamet added in. It's it's so weird. Apparently, there's a lot of interesting stuff that goes on in terms of the way in which Japanese culture and like African-American culture in the U.S. intersect. And uh, I guess a lot of the nuance that maybe Crichton had in the book was a little bit lost here. Uh, Like, I I don't actually think that Wesley Snipes, Wesley Snipes was actually his character in the book is not is not African-American, but in the in the movie he is. And one of the reasons he is is because they the guy who was uh who is like the exact the EP of it? Um, what's his name? It might have been Philip Kaufman actually, who did the who did the directing. One of them really liked Wesley Snipes in White Man Can't Jump, and I can totally understand it because he was amazing. And White Man Jump Can't Jump is amazing, uh, but uh, and they wanted like to to bank on that, so they wanted Wesley Snipes. So they rewrote the character so that it would be African American. And then there's this whole really awkward scene where like the Yakuza is chasing down Sean Connery and Wesley Snipes, and so he goes into like some kind of, uh, you know, I'm using air quotes here, some kind of hood neighborhood, right? And, like, convinces the other people around him to, like, you know, all these all these other African-American guys who almost in a, in a very cringy way, like, try to intimidate the Japanese. It's just, oh, God, it's just awful. Like, it's just so bad. And it's a shame, too. Like, it really is because it could have been an interesting 
movie. It could have been this interesting idea of like corporate culture and Japanese culture and how like they're taking and how like they're over overly influencing like American corporate structure and stuff like that. And then also there's this murder mystery that's going on, but it's just not, I just, I don't know. I just did not, I just, I was not convinced by Sean Connery and Wesley Snipes together. I don't think they made a good duo, which you think Wesley Snipes, great. Sean Connery, great, but just not great together. Like I just didn't like them together. Um, so ultimately I didn't really like the movie. I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, if you missed it, you're cool. You don't need to go back. Um, what did you think of it, Justin? Uh, thanks. Uh, one big part was I thought the ending was just really flat. Oh it's my this gosh. really, yes. it's really bad fight scene. And then you see the, the supposed villain, he dies off camera. Yeah. And then there's like another 10 minutes of conversation at yeah. the end where it just kind of peters off. It's a very strange thing. It's like, it's not how like a movie ends, you know, climactically. It just, it doesn't make any sense. There's no resolution. It's just right. kind of. Like, and then this happened. All right, Eddie, the guys who threw him into the cement, he, they're gone now. Yeah. Anyways, let's talk about it. It's and there was weird. like this ham-fisted sort of romance that they were trying to do with Wesley Snipes' and Tia Carrera's character. But Tia Carrera doesn't show up to like 40 minutes in the movie. It's kind of weird. And that's the two. She's with Wayne anyways, so it's, he can't have her. That's true. So. That's fair. There's a man in the back. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Wayne's a real good movie. Uh, what are your stupid questions? All right, so <laughs> beginning of the movie, uh, Sean Connery is ta- is like talking down Wesley Snipes about proper things to do when confronting Japanese businessmen. That's correct. All right, so what is one thing that the Japanese find threatening that he advises him not to uh, do? Like large or wild hand- uh, arm gestures, movements, that type of thing. That is correct. Yeah. Okay. All right, so you mentioned that Shao Kahn, I'm gonna, he's not Eddie, to me, Shao Kahn. Okay. okay. You, you mentioned... Hiroyuki Tagawa. Uh, Shao Kahn. You mentioned that Kahn. Shao Kahn was in a, uh, a a big like relationship with this girl, and she liked it rough, right? She liked That's being shook and all stuff. So he says he doesn't like that. That's true. He did say well, that. How does, he, how does he describe the type of man that he is? Oh, man. Um, hmm... Oh gosh, I don't really remember. It's a pretty funny line, so that's why I remember. That's it. probably why I don't remember it because I just stopped paying attention to when they talked, and all I really did at that point was just try to figure out what really happened. Um, I don't really know. I can't like it wasn't like he's a he's it wasn't like a like that cliche he's a lover not a fighter. That wasn't it. Um, any hints? Any hints for old your old pal Jeff? Um, food. I, I don't know. I, I don't remember. I, I, I give up. What is he it? He says he's not that type of man. He's a straight meat and potatoes oh, guy. Oh, that's right. That's, that's right. Said. Yeah, I remember. So that's a really way, weird way to describe uh, having sex with a woman. Anyways, uh, next question. <laughs> is this the most inept raid team ever? Now, here's why. I have a couple things of uh, oh my of God. reasons why. The part they where, where – hang on. The, the, before you give me your, your things, I thought it was hilarious. The naked woman hops on the back of Wesley Snipes, and everyone just walks past her like it's okay. Like they, that's, like part, okay that's part of the reason. She's there just beating on him, and everyone's just like, now nah, we're just going to leave. Oh, God. Go ahead. That's part of the reason. So first off. They break a window for no reason. <laughs> for reason, no just reason open the door and, and came in. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, when they run in, uh, 
Shao Kahn runs away with ease, with no clothes on. No just problem. Runs whatsoever. out the back door. Gets into his there car. Is that, no yeah, one's covering the car. His Lamborghini. Yeah, no one's covering the front door or any side doors. They just all came into places. one. But that window is taken zone. care of, man. Yeah, they got that. Also, like he said, West this time is being beat on by one woman, a uh, naked woman on <laughs> his back, on and his back. he's just rolling around in circles, and no one's helping him at all. It's just this woman beating on him. Yep. And finally, rather than helping him get that woman off her, there's two guys that are just holding this woman at gunpoint <laughs> who's naked on the floor covered in sushi, just staring at her while, they're, while she's screaming at him. Yeah. Now, I can kind of see why they were doing that, but like... There's so many other things he could have done to help out the situation, but yeah. the perverts this points gun at the poor naked woman on the floor. So, is this the most inept raid team ever? And that's the, all the uh, the evidence I'm giving you. It is of course, for, yeah, uh, no, play. totally. It's the worst. It is the worst ever. It is the worst ever. That is correct. All right. Now, I get that's my answer, but I guess I guess I, I guess you could make the case that maybe they were intentionally trying to fail their raid so they can just kill Eddie and keep everything quiet. But I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's what was going on. They could have just like shot him through the window then. Yeah, they're going to break true. it anyways. That's true. Yeah. All right. Next question. Why did Shao, sorry, why did Shao <laughs> Khan not turn in the senator when he saw that he was, uh, that he, you know, he had had sex with her and had supposedly he thought he killed her, right? Because when he saw it happen, he thought she died. He didn't know if the second person came in and finished the job. Why did Shao Khan not turn him in? So I'm not sure if there's a funny line or something that I'm supposed to remember, but I do recall that his father, so Shao Kahn, if that's what we're going with, uh, his father, <laughs> uh, w- w- there's a specific name, again, a Japanese term, I don't recall the specific vocabulary, but essentially his father was kind of like a competitor in a way uh, to the guy who leads the Nakamoto Corporation. Uh, and believing that this this is, I don't know, maybe that this could be used in such a way. Uh, I'm not really sure. I'm kind of grasping. Well, the main reason was that he wanted him to vote for him in right. the upcoming like stuff that was going on through Congress and stuff like that. So if he yeah, were they to, can use this, yeah, yeah, turn if he were to turn him in, he wouldn't get the vote. Plus, you know, it's also kind of leverage on him. Okay. So I don't know. How I feel like wanna... I should get that because I did mention that a couple times. I feel yeah, like I did yeah, mention yeah, the yeah, idea yeah, of leverage. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty close. We'll, so we'll say that. Okay. Okay, okay. All right. Final question. Your best. Losers do their best. Winners go home and f*** the prom queen. On idea, but it's absolutely <laughs> correct. There you go. Stupid as long. It's such a dumb line. <laughs> oh, I would. I, I think I would rather watch The Rock than The Unrising Sun. Oh, speaking so of good. Speaking of bad '90s movies, did you hear that they're they're talking about remaking Face Off? What? Yeah, I don't have a whole lot of more information. How could you make that. a perfect movie? I, I hate that, that movie. Possible. That movie's so bad. Oh, he God. was in a prison with magnetic shoes. Face. That's so futuristic. Off. Face. Off. I mean, Face off. What, what was the other one that that John Travolta was a bad guy? Like, for hours. It was black, black something. Where black he Hawk, was like, uh, no, not Black Hawk Down. Uh, the one with Christian Slater. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so Howie Long is in that too. Yeah, I always thought those two were great movies. You know, they were really you close to each other. Made, so. Really had some bad taste back then. Oh my god. Anyway, so, okay. so you got a uh, one. To you got four to five. Cool. Um, uh, the only thing you didn't get was straight meat and potatoes, but it's understandable. Yeah, fair understand, enough. So. Fair enough. 
Exactly. All right. So terrible movie. Don't go watch it. Justin is going to now talk about something way better. So Justin, please take it away. So Jeffrey assigned me the uh, 1998 film Dark City, directed by oh, Alex so Proyas. Yes. And it's also written by Alex Proyas. Yes. Um, it stars Rufus Sowell, who was uh, the bad guy from First Night. Also, um, also a starring role in Amazon's The Man in the High Castle, just like Shao Kahn. Yeah, so there's so many links that we yep. were unaware of. Yep. Um, has Jennifer Connelly. No, um, she's the she's best. Been I love, a I billion love things. Um, William Hurt. Mm-hmm. We have Kiefer Sutherland. Good old Kiefer. And Richard O'Brien from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He played the, <laughs> the, the, the guy with like the bald head and like the... Could you be more he's specific? Like, there are many guys with bald heads. He's like the geek. I forget what his character was, but he's like a weird character from okay. that movie. I will take you. But anyways, uh, the idea of the film is John Murdoch wakes up in a bathtub and John Murdoch is played by Rufus Sowell. So mm-hmm. um, uh, he has this, there's a syringe on the floor. And he's got blood on his forehead and there's a dead girl in the next room covering these weird carvings all over her body. Right. And before the movie starts off, which I learned through a little research, that this wasn't initially in the movie, but the producers made them put it in because they thought it would be too confusing otherwise. Um, Kiefer Sutherland explains that there's a group of aliens that came from another world mm-hmm. that um, came down to Earth mm-hmm. and have an ability to do this thing called tuning, which basically they can kind of like alter reality with their brain. And so that's kind of like the first thing that's said. Now... This is also revealed over time through the movie, but mm-hmm. I guess the, the producers thought that we would be too stupid to figure it out. Yeah. Anyways, um, John wakes up. He has no memory of what's going on, um, but weird things are happening throughout the city. People seem to be changing places. Every few hours, everybody falls asleep. Yep. And um, there's these weird guys walking around in trench coats and that are bald and are all white. And at first, I thought the leader, he looks a lot like... Um, James Bond, almost. It's like a really skinnier, older James Bond. Which James uh, Bond? There have been many ones. The current one. Uh, Daniel uh, Craig? Daniel Craig. He kind of yeah. looks like Daniel Craig. But I was like, I had to look it up, and I realized it's the guy from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. Um, so what happens is every couple hours, they put everybody to sleep. And the entire city adjusts. So they use their tuning to kind of like together with this machine adjust the city in a way to kind of like manipulate how it looks. So they'll add buildings, new, new levels to uh, like streets. And they also will change people's memories and who they are and change their position in society. So basically they're kind of like adjusting their little world in a way that they want to try and like create these experiments. So you find out that the guy who kind of is helping them out is Kiefer Sutherland's character who is, I think it was uh, Dr. Schreiber. Schreiber. Yep. And um, he kind of like assisted these, uh, they call them the strangers. He assisted the strangers to kind of like do these experiments. um, And he kind of betrayed his people and they kind of wiped his memory in the process of doing so. So as you kind of like see the stuff going on, also when things are changing, the the whole movie is like a giant MC Escher painting come to life. It's the best way for me to kind of like describe it because like legit, buildings yeah. are moving and stairs are twisting. It's very strange. Um, John for some reason has the ability to tune as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't know why he does, but John has the ability, and he doesn't fall asleep when everyone else falls asleep. So somehow he's become immune to these abilities. 
Um, he's being chased by the train by strangers, but he's also being chased by uh, William Hurt's character and his wife, played by Jennifer Connelly, because he is suspected to be a serial murderer in the city, and William Hurt's trying to try and track him down to to stop the murders and stuff like that. Um, so. I'm trying to think here. Uh, his wife and detective are following him. Uh, as John's being pursued by his strangers, so he finds out he has these abilities, he, he kills a couple of them, and it's very strange, and he realizes they're kind of aliens. As he's being pursued by his strangers, he eventually gets picked up by his wife and William Hurt, and William Hurt kind of accuses him of being a, a killer. He says he doesn't have any memory of this, he, is, he didn't do any of this, and then he's trying to explain to him all this weird stuff that's going on, that you know everyone falls asleep and things are changing, and then he actually shows William Hurt his ability to kind of like mess with stuff, so then William Hurt kind of believes him. All of meanwhile, he's had these flashbacks to a, a beach that he went to as a child, and uh, he, think, he, he talks to uh, Kiefer Sutherland with William Hurt, because William Hurt kind of believes him, and, you know, after you see something floating in the sky, he's like, okay, I got to kind of believe what's going on. They go up to Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland kind of, like, gives up the goat, tells him everything that's happened, and says that, you know, this is a giant experiment. They're trying to figure out the human soul because they're dying, and they feel like the human soul is the key to living longer. So they use these little experiments to kind of, like, adjust and mess with people to see how they react in certain scenarios. So like, he didn't ever kill anybody. They just put an implanted mind in his head in the past that he had. He never had been married to his wife. They just implanted all these things in everybody's heads and memories to kind of make them think different things of what happened in their life. And they're all kind of injected by Kiefer Sutherland. He kind of is like an artist, if you will, when it comes to creating personalities of these people and and coming up with like stories in their backgrounds. And it's almost there's almost like a feel of like um, Santa Claus. I had a weird feeling of that where it's <laughs> like. Because, like, there's a scene where they're, like, adjusting everybody's IDs and stuff, so it's kind of like little elves adjusting all stuff. And then at night, when they turn off the clock, like, Santa Claus comes out and changes the whole city while everyone's asleep. It's kind of like a weird little feeling. It's I just a pretty had, terrifying I interpretation of what Santa Claus sure. is. But honestly, if you, um, do think, if you think too deeply about the concept of Santa Claus, it is pretty terrifying. Yeah, it's very, it's very similar. Um, he must be an alien that's trying to adjust people's uh, thoughts. Anyways... They go to the edge of the city where they're trying to find their way to the beach and they burst through a wall. And when they burst through the wall, they realize that they're on a spaceship. They're not even on Earth. And they realize, man, it's never been light time. Everything's always dark. Yeah. So um, they eventually take John back to their main area where they have the machines at. He uh, was slipped a uh, syringe by Kiefer Sutherland saying, I will help fix this. I have all your memories in this syringe. If I give this to you, everything's fixed. But he doesn't trust Kiefer Sutherland because he's kind of like, you know, giving up the goat and everything's kind of strange. And then Plus they kind of say, can you ever really trust Kiefer Sutherland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like he jumps on Christmas trees when he's drunk. Kiefer, right? You know. <laughs> like so, that. um. He, he, they strap him down. They're going to imprint him with the rest of the people because they think that he's the key to them surviving as an alien race. But instead of using that syringe, he does the old switcheroo and uh, Kiefer Sutherland puts the thing in his forehead that is of his actual memories. And it turns out that Kiefer Sutherland's been training him for a very long time, even since he's a child, to kind of like fight against these people and taught him how to tune. And you find out that like they've had this relationship for a very long time. And um, even Kiefer and Sutherland didn't remember this either because they had wiped his brain for a certain point too. So you find it. So he becomes fully unlocked, and they have this giant CGI battle 
uh, between the two main guys, between John and like the main uh, stranger guy. Um, and there's, and it doesn't look that bad. Um, some points are kind of like, eh, but like as a whole for being 1998, doesn't look that bad. There's a lot of matte paintings, a lot of practical effects, a lot of cool stuff that goes on in the movie. Um, because CGI wasn't there just yet. This movie was a couple years before the matrix and we'll get back to that. Um, but like it, it was very practical. The only thing that kind of looked kind of weird was his, when they're fighting with their brain thing with a whoop, 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 I really thought of the South Park moment when they're like, uh, let this be our final battle. And the psychic people are like, whoop, 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 at each other with Cartman and stuff like that. That's what I kind of felt like at that moment. Um, anyways, John defeats all strangers. Uh, they have an aversion to water. So he puts all the water, he puts a bunch of water outside the ship. So if anyone were to come later, he, you know, that's kind of, kind of sealed off. It then creates the beach where he was supposed to be at when he was a kid. And he finds out that his wife has her memory wiped, so he also turns the ship with his mind, so it's facing the sun, so everyone sees the light. And he decides that he's going to kind of be the uh, the arbor of the ship and bring these people back home, I guess, and kind of save the day. Um, and he finds Jennifer Connelly, and she doesn't remind she doesn't remember him, but he's going to try, I guess, uh, build a relationship with her. And they head their way down to the beach uh, that he created with his mind. Um, so what I think of it, um, it's interesting. It's amazing. I wasn't, I wasn't bored. Mm -hmm. Um, the mm -hmm. beginning of the movie is so choppy. It's so quick. Um, I think that's probably part of the, part of the reason why is because of the circumstances in which the people are in. Yeah. I think it's intentional, and, you know, right? It's supposed to yeah. really get you kind of confused and in that weird state, especially yeah. since you're following Rufus and he's like all amnesic and he doesn't really know what's going on. So I think all that kind of goes together. Just get you, get you. I think it is. Right yeah. Now. It's very strange when it starts off, but once things start going and you start understanding stuff, it it it, it makes sense and it's it's pretty good. The I think that they did not need that Kiefer Sutherland thing because I think that just made it more confusing. In the you know when he kind of gives this whole deposition of right. like what happened, like I like I think I would like it better if he didn't say anything and just was a pan in on a dark city. Um, I thought the special effects were great. Um, I like the all the little miniatures and matte paintings and and uh, practical effects I did that I thought were fantastic. Um, lead character fine, Jennifer Connelly dreamy, uh, William Hurt super handsome. He is. Uh, isn't he? I agree. Kiefer Sutherland, I'm not really sure about how I felt with him in this movie. Like just, it was very just, strange. The way he spoke just seems so unnecessary, right? Like it seems so unnatural and yeah. silly. Um, I didn't really like it at all. Um, the guy who plays Mr. Hand, Richard O'Brien, who's uh, the, from Rocky Horror Picture Show, I thought he was a pretty cool character. I thought the little kid was the creepiest one, and then he dies yeah. at the end. Yeah. It's really weird. It's like a little kid just like, ah! yeah. Um, but like overall, I thought the movie was fine. Um, I don't think I'll ever watch it again, but I don't regret watching. I thought it was a, a interesting little mystery. Um. And there was no real part where I was like, this is dumb. Like, even the dated 1998 special effects weren't that bad. There's a few things where they're really trying to push their levels of special effects, but it's not like I was watching, like, uh, the Langoliers or something, you know, where you, when you ever I would look hope, back on the I would hope that so a $27 million budget theatrical production would be better than a made-for-TV miniseries with Bronson Pinchot. So, so, in the end, I was, if you haven't seen it, like... When it first came out, it was a huge flop. Like it, 
Yes, it was very Didn't sad. Well. Despite the fact that Roger Ebert loves it and considers and, and like put it on his like greatest movies of all time type of thing and used to teach about it. Like I, I remember he like loved it and uh, it got mixed reviews. You know, there's a lot of people who really, really enjoy it. There's a lot of people, I think, who panned it for a variety of reasons. Sometimes I think that film critics get to the point where they're like they just want to exercise like how smart they are in their own reviews. But like, yeah, they get you know, too far up their own ass. Sometimes. Yeah, a little bit. But like, I mean, yeah, I mean, we do, too, but. It's, but like, it's, the nature. it's got a huge cult following. Yeah. And I think it really did inspire a lot of stuff in the future. So a few things, a few facts. So Richard O'Brien, the guy who played Minister Hand, he was the first to dress up. And then the rest of the, they were like, okay, well, the rest of the aliens look like you. Right. So he kind of <laughs> created the first costume. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of like matched everyone to look, look just like him. So he did the whole like. I'll be bald and I'll be all pale and white and I'll have these weird like, you know, fedora and all this stuff. So he was the first. Um, in the director's cut, it's actually Jennifer Connelly singing and it's better than the person that they dubbed over her. <laughs> but for some reason, they dubbed over her for the theatrical release. But if you watch the director's cut, her voice is actually fantastic and it's like way better. There's a lot of weird dubbing in this movie that they didn't have to do. Like the one girl the that... Like the one hooker that picks him up and brings her him back, she, her voice is completely Melissa dubbed. George. It's strange. You yeah, Melissa it's George? very strange. Yeah, yeah. She's from Alias. Uh, wh- where did you watch this? I watched it in my house. No, no, man. Like what? What platform? I'm just curious. Uh, Amazon. Okay. Amazon. Yeah, I know so. Vudu has it for free, uh, but you'd have to watch an ad at the beginning. But it's free. Um, no, thank you. I'll <laughs> okay. give you my three dollars instead. I totally won't. I'll just get up and walk away for forty-five seconds, and I'll come back and watch it for free, which is what I did. Um, a lot of the set pieces were reusing the Matrix. Yep. Um, so like the top scene where Trinity is running across the tops of the, the rooftops. The yeah. rooftops yep. It's from this movie, so they reused a lot of the set pieces. Early version had Kiefer Sutherland getting skinned alive later nice. in the movie, so like he was gonna die horribly. They got rid nice. of that. William Hurt was initially supposed to play Schreiber. Um, so that was supposed to be because they wanted hmm. Schreiber to be like an older guy, which, when you think about it, it makes, makes sense because yeah. uh, Kiefer Sutherland's probably younger or probably same age as uh, Rufus, yeah. uh, which is really interesting because like, he's supposed to have raised him. So that stuff's weird. Um, and Bumstead, who was, who's William Hurt's character, was supposed to be the original protagonist of the movie, and they kind of like switched it around. And made uh, John uh, the the kind of the main protagonist. It was supposed to be kind of like a noir investigative cop trying to figure stuff out, and like that's what it was supposed to be. But they kind of switched around to uh, a cat and mouse chase thing, where like John is not really guilty, and they're trying to figure all this stuff out. So that's how it kind of changed. So that's a lot of the facts of what I figured out. But, all right, yeah. man, you ready for that quiz then? I'm sure I'll fail, but here we go. All right, at the beginning of the movie, uh, during that helter-skelter stuff where they're showing people falling down, laying on the ground, at one point they show this, they, they linger on this fairly large uh, theatrical sign, like a, like old-school movie theater type, letting up. Uh, what's the name of the film that was showing, and uh, what were the coming attractions? I cannot remember. Kind of, uh, I feel like it kind of hit the nail on the head for like how you really should be. So it was called The Evil, that was the name of the movie. And then uh-huh. the coming attractions were Book of Dreams, and one might argue that a lot of what was happening in here is fairly dreamlike because nothing is ever really what it seems, etc. So kind of oh, one of those little things that if you see, you're kind of like, hmm, I wonder if they're trying to say something. Uh, okay, so second question. Probably one of those rewatch things. You're like, oh, 
Look at that. Yeah, I mean, I've, I I watched this a ton when this first came out, and I remember I took a when I was taking a film class in college, I wrote about this film, and uh, and so I ended up I probably watched it maybe a dozen times. So, what's the name of the location that's on John's postcard that he carries around? And we see it elsewhere. And what is the slogan of this location? You you vaguely mentioned it, but you didn't actually mention it by name. You mentioned it just by what its location is. So what's specifically the name of the location? It's on the postcard that John's carrying that he's wanting to get back to and that we see on some billboards and stuff like that. And what is the slogan? Something Beach. It's like... That's, that's correct. It is Something Beach. But I want to know what that something is. Uh, it's really um, important. They mention it like a hundred times. And it's yes, shown I know. about a hundred times. And yeah, no. You're not wrong. So me not knowing <laughs> this, this is an easy question. The other one I get. Yeah, no, was, this is an easy, easy question. Um, uh, boy, oh boy, why am I so dumb? Um, not dumb. I don't think. Uh, forgetful. Uh, I'll say mm-hmm. it was Sunny Sands Beach. Oh my gosh! How did you do that? How did you get that question wrong? Uh, All right, let's see what he did there. It's uh, it's Shell Beach. Oh man, <laughs> damn it! Near the beach is Shell Beach. Well, I knew it started with an S, um, and I do not remember this. And the slogan is "Come to Shell Beach, the water's fine." And you see it in the beginning on the big old billboard where the strangers. No, you see it like eighty times. Yeah, the but there's like the specific scene where the strangers in the beginning are cornering Rufus Sewell's character. And like the, it's one of those moving movable arms, like where the woman in the in the postcard, or excuse me, the one on the billboard is like a woman laying in a bikini, like waving, and her arms moving up and down, and her arm during the fight falls all the way down and karate chops the back of like this stranger's head and cuts his head open, and then this weird like tentacle monster comes out of it. It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. next, uh, next question. Um, what was the best scene in this movie? And there is a correct answer to this. Um, so I thought of this, and I believe the best scene of this movie was when they changed the uh, couple from an old poor couple to a affluent couple with children and a giant home. And then when they wake up and talk, they talk about how people are lollygagging uh, at work. Justin, so I'm so proud of you. I say 41 minutes in when the rich couple begins eating dinner after a reset and the husband says a man at the law firm made a poor impression because he was, quote, lollygagging around. That's absolutely Do not think that 100% I remember that. 100%. Correct. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Well <laughs> I done, like, sir. I go, just going to mention that. He's going to mention totally that in some question. I totally did. At some point. Lollygagging. Excellent. Well done. Right. Okay, Justin, next two are a little bit a little bit easier. Uh, so you have a chance to do pretty well in this quiz. You have a chance for a three out of five, sir. If you oh boy. pull it home here, three in a row. You started off a little, little, little bad, but you can pull it home. The strangers have very mundane names, names like Mr. Hand and Mr. Wall. Okay, so if you and I were strangers, what would our names be? Uh, my name would be The Belly. Um, and, Mr. Uh, Belly, I believe is the Mr. Mr. Belly. Okay. Um, and your name would be uh, Mr. Game Master. Uh, That's a good one. Because you, you're the Game Master of like 16 games. It's too complicated, though. Oh, sure. Okay. I we'll like say yours, though. Mr. Dice. Mr. Dice. Is that better? Mr. Dice. I'll, t- I'll take Mr. that. Dice. All right. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. That's fine. Okay. Okay. Mr. Belly, though, I think Mr. I would. Mr. Belly's would, really good. I like that one. I like that one. Yeah. Definitely getting points for that. Okay. Then the final question, Justin. And this is this is really philosophical and deep because this movie is really interesting. 
because it asks some some curious questions. So, Justin, what if we didn't actually know each other? What if, what if we haven't known each other for almost twenty years, and we only met just a few minutes ago, prior to recording this episode? What would that mean? What would that mean? Uh, it probably means that you'd have a lot less gray hair. Um, I don't have that. Many. A lot less, <laughs> a lot less aggravation in your life. That's that's fair. Um, a lot less sighing. Um, mm. and me probably a lot less getting yelled at. Um, oh, I, I don't yell say at you. That. What are you talking about? Um, I don't yell at you. Sure, not yell at, but a lot less. There you go. Passive aggressiveness. There you go. We'll sure. Yeah, that yeah. for sure. But I don't yell. Perfect. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, that is incorrect. The answer is that uh, it would mean that I didn't kick your ass in Goldeneye as a teenager. And all right, I'm done with this. much like Kiefer Sutherland's character wonders whether a man would continue being a, kel- a killer if imprinted with the memory of killer of a killer. Maybe you wouldn't suck ass at video games if you didn't have the imprint of me kicking your ass at Goldeneye, a video game, when you were a teenager. You know, I do Boom. truly. When we think when we think back at this, I think that you know, because my my confidence was so high before that with my video game playing, and then you brought me down to earth. I think they just kind of ruined. I think I ruined your life. Or, I think that's what I did. Yeah, that's what it I is. Thanks you to you, I am in a happy marriage <laughs> with you know a wonderful job and place that I live at. Thanks a lot, Jeff. I'm such I'm such a jackass. All right, yeah. Justin. Unfortunately, you did not go three out of five, but you get two out of five. So I'll give you that. You got two out of five. So very nicely done. Uh, got me too excited. I screwed it up a bit. Yeah, you didn't. You, you answered too quickly. You needed to think more. I was actually referencing specific things in the movie and hoping you were going to pick up on that, but unfortunately, you did not. All right, time for new challenges for next week for episode sixty-six. Justin, are you ready, sir? I've never been more ready in my life. Okay. So as we spin the the wheel, the metaphorical wheel, to see what we come up with, looks like our first choice is, oh gosh, Hackers from the 2010s. I'm in. Hackers from the 2010s. Hmm. Hmm. Got a couple choices there. There's one obvious one that jumps out to me, a little TV show. Uh, and then there's a couple others, I suppose. A couple of video games that are really good, too. I just want anything where someone mm. says I'm in, and I'm I'll in. take it. Okay. All right. So that is it for this episode, episode 65. That uh, sounds right. Uh, so if you like what you're hearing, uh, if you would be so kind as to perhaps go up onto Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, drop a little review, write a little couple words, even if they're words that say mean things about me or Justin, we'll still take them. Uh, you can also catch uh, us up on Twitter. I'm at Co. Justin's at BuysJustin. He hasn't been, t- he hasn't been uh, uh, streaming a whole lot lately because his internet connection is not great in his new place. Uh, but we're getting him up there at some point, and hopefully we might do some more things uh, down the road. Uh, and so, Justin, if we were in a 1990s movie, how would you describe our clothing and our general, our general appearances in such a way that we could stand out? So, um... For me, I'd be wearing dirty white white tank top, okay? Um, chest hair coming out with a Italian horn necklace. Um, also wearing uh, maybe like some some chinos, some, some blue chinos. For you, I was thinking jean jacket, uh, high, high water jeans, um, and uh, you got a mullet, 
and you have a mustache, but it doesn't really fill in that well. Like the middle's not there. 